Well, this morning we're going to continue in our uh, study of the Gospel of Mark. And um, I'm thankful even for the pace that we've set. Like, we've been in it two weeks, or t- almost two months, and we're only about halfway through the first chapter. Um, and so we're going to be here for a little while, and yet I'm thankful that we get to take this moment and really zero in on the person of Jesus Christ, on this king, right? The, the idea that he is the, the long-awaited king that all of Scripture pointed before this points to, the Messiah who is to come. And so we've been able to see that Mark, is, is he's, he's determined. He's determined in this first chapter to establish the authority of Jesus, the promised Messiah, so that we would know that even though he is not what we expected, he is the king. He is the one that we've waited for. He is the one that we need. Remember Jesus' first words in this gospel in verse 15. Jesus has arrived on the scene and he says, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Mark is driving home this point that this Jesus is the one. He's the good news. This gospel, this good news of the upside down kingdom is what had been promised by the prophets in the, in the Old Testament, right, of all of Scripture has pointed to him. And it's already been attested to by the, the current prophet, John the Baptist, who was the one that was sent by God to prepare the way for Jesus. And so John has pointed to Jesus and said, this is him. This is the king. And the identity of Jesus as the Son of God, it's been confirmed by the Father himself in Jesus' baptism, where the, the heavens open up and this voice comes from heaven and says, this is my Son in whom I'm well pleased. Right? And the Spirit has confirmed that that's the Son as he descends upon him. Even, even Satan and the demons have said, this is the Son of God. Right? The, the demon that's cast out last, last week when we were looking at the Scripture says, you are the Holy One of God. Everyone, has, everyone who has seen Jesus has been impacted by his presence and has, to, has had to acknowledge that he is the king. And so this morning, we wrestle with that same thing. We wrestle with, if that's true for them, how do we approach Jesus? Do we approach him as the king? The question we have is, why has Mark poured all of this into the opening of the gospel account that he writes to the Jewish church in Rome. Why is he doing all of this? And it's because he knows that this is not the king that they had expected. This is not what they, were, that what they wanted. What they, need, what they feel like they need as they're enduring persecution, as they're having to gather in the catacombs to hear this story, that, They're thinking, this is not what we need. We need a king that's going to fix everything. We need a king that's going to change our lives, that's going to to set and rule with authority over us. And Mark's driving this home. No, he is the authority. He is the king. Whether he comes in the way that you expected it or not. And so Mark is spending all of this time establishing that. And the reality is that for us, This isn't the king that we think we need. We think we need a king that's going to fix everything, that's going to make everything right, that's going to make us feel good, that's going to provide comfort and shelter. And yet the reality is that this is the king that we need. The same way he's the king 
that the, the church in Rome, the Jewish church there, needed. You see, the, the gospel is clear that this is the king. He's the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one who would come. He's the fulfillment of the promise that's given to us in the very beginning, right? Genesis chapter 1 and 2 talk about God creating and it's perfect. In Genesis 3, we mess it up. We, we, we sin through Adam and Eve. The fall happens, but in that moment, as soon as, as it's ruined, as like perfection is ruined, God promises to restore. He says that one will come and he will crush Satan under his feet. The promise is given from the very beginning. And so they've waited and waited and waited and prayed and longed for it. And now they have the good news. He's come. The, the, the one that will crush Satan, the one that will defeat sin and death, he is here, and he is here to restore what sin and death had distorted, what had been broken. You see, this is the, this is the Jesus, the servant king, and he's come to inaugurate his kingdom on earth. And so today we get to continue to, to see that, see how he's done it. And the way that we're going to see it today, we see that the kingdom of God looks like a kingdom of healing, a kingdom of praying, and a kingdom of proclaiming. Amen? Let's pray. God, we do ask, God, that in our brokenness, in our humanity, in our weariness, that you would work by the power of your spirit to give us ears to hear this good news, and that that would change our hearts. God, that we would not be able to hear it and just say, that's cool. <laughs> but that we would hear it and it would radically change the way that we live. God, that we would hear it and we would lift up our eyes to see those around us that are hurting, that need healing, that are broken, that are distraught, that all they see is what the world has presented. And, and Lord, as we've already confessed that this morning, it's not good. As we've already lamented this morning, it's broken. God, and so we would ask that you would stir our hearts today. God, give us the gift of belief. Open our eyes to see. Give us ears to hear. Lord, work by the power of your Spirit in our hearts. Lord, I pray that there would be some today that, that would hear, maybe even for the first time, and they would experience the joy of salvation. Lord, and I pray that today that I would hear again, and I would experience the joy of salvation, and that we together as a people, would experience that. Lord, that we would remember the Jesus who heals, who restores, and that we would proclaim your goodness. God, I pray that that, that proclamation that's being made throughout the world today would go forward. Lord, that you would save, not just here in Cape Canaveral, not just here in Bavard County and the other Cross Point coasts, not just in America, but throughout the world, Lord, that you would save God, for your glory, that more would proclaim that you are worthy, just as we talked about in Revelation 5. You are worthy. We thank you that we can pray all these things with confidence this morning, because it's what you want. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, just breaking down uh, the passage this morning, we're going to look at verses 29 through 34. It says, and immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew 
and James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever and immediately told him, they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up and the fever left her and she began to serve them. When it says immediately here, like Mark loves that word, right? I mean, we've, we've seen all of this must happen in like five minutes if, all of, if it's, you know, uh, actually immediately. But this one is immediately. Like they just got done in the synagogue and now they're going to have their noon meal um, after church. We've all experienced some of that. And maybe your belly is rumbling right now and you're already thinking about that. I hope that I didn't distract you with that. But that's the reality of what they're doing. They're going to Simon Peter's house. And he's probably invited them and he's excited that they're going to come. And that Jesus, the guy that's called him to follow him, and that's actually given him a new name. And I'm not sure how his family felt about that, but we're going to find out, right? Because they're going to his house. And so they get there, and what should have been this sweet time of, of fellowshipping and enjoying one another and celebrating together uh, feels like it's ruined, right? The mother-in-law, who is the hostess, who's going to make all of this happen, she's sick. She's got a fever. And so, so it puts a damper on the party. I mean, that's, that's the reality. And yet Jesus comes in, and instead of seeing that the party is ruined, he is filled with compassion. He, he hurts as she hurts. He longs to heal her. I'm thankful for um, this kind of composite gospel account because this, this, this story comes out of Mark, it comes out of Luke, and it comes out, it's also recorded in Matthew. So if we take all of those together, note the manner in which Jesus healed her. Luke says in the parallel account that he stood over her and rebuked the fever. Matthew says he touched her. Here in Mark, we read that he took her by the hand. Thus, we have a composite picture of Christ standing close to her bed, taking her by the hand, rebuking the fever, and gently raising her up before Peter and his wide-eyed friends. This idea that, that Jesus, he's doing some crazy, awesome things. Right? He's, he's been baptized and the heavens opened up and like everyone that saw that is changed forever because they saw and heard the voice of the Lord. He's cast, he just cast out the demon from the demon-possessed man in the synagogue. And so there's awe around all of that and yet Jesus sees the hurting around him. He's not so caught up in his ministry that he doesn't see those that he's ministering to. And for us, I think that's just a, that's a good warning. It's a good call and a good caution to remember. Like we get so caught up sometimes in what, God, what do you want, what do you want us to do that we miss those that are around us that, are, that we're doing it with? But here we see the heart of the healer. The heart of the healer that Jesus longs to restore what we've destroyed. The reality that that. There was no sickness in the Garden of Eden. Everything was perfect. Right relationship. They ate right. They had healthy bodies. It was perfect. And we know it because God said it was good. And he, then he created man and he said it was very good. And God rested at that point because his work was done and he couldn't improve on it. It was done. It was beautiful. And yet, like we talked about, in Genesis 3, we 
mankind said, no, we can rule. We can do it ourselves. We don't need you, God. And we rebelled against him. And so in that moment, sickness, brokenness, the need for healing occurred. And Jesus longs to restore what we have destroyed. Jesus heals in the context of relationship. You see it, right? He looks at the mom and, and grabs her by the hand. And he, in one account, he rebukes the fever, but he says that you're whole. Let's look. He says, now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her, and he came and took her by the hand, and he lifted her up gently. The fever left her, and she began to serve them. You see, the, the healing happens in the context of relationship. Jesus comes over. He sees her. And then what does she do as soon as she's healed? She enters into relationship with Jesus. She continues to serve him. She walks in what had been prepared for her to serve and honor and cherish him. And so this healing takes place in relationship. And there's nothing fancy there's not an incantation, there's not a ritual, there's not a, a perfect way that you have to do all of these things for this healing to happen. No, Jesus came, he saw her, he took her by the hand and he healed her. There's a gift there for us because we even tend to think, well, if I just pray right, that's what's required for the healing. Or if I pray enough, or um, if enough people pray, or the right people pray, that God would move and he would heal, and yet the reality is that Jesus heals, and he does it in his own timing and in his own way. You see, and then we move on in verse 32. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons, and the whole city was gathered together at the door. That's a sick city. Everybody, the whole, all of them were there, Right? And he healed many who were sick with various diseases, and he cast out many demons, and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. Jesus is not ignorant. He understands that this crowd that is formed outside his door, remember, so this is, this is a Sabbath. So as soon as the sun went down, the Sabbath was over, and everyone flooded to, because during Sabbath, you, you weren't going to, it was illegal to do like a ton of things. And so they had to stay inside, but, but they had heard that Jesus had healed. And so they waited until sundown, and at sundown, now it's okay. You can go back out, you can work, you can labor, and the whole city comes out and is outside his door for healing. And so can you imagine that? And Jesus doesn't say, wait a second, that's too much. No, he, said, he goes out and heals many. And he understands that there are not everyone in the crowd is there for the actual healing that he can give them. A lot of them just want to feel better. A lot of them don't want the, the gift that he's giving them of a, of a restored heart, of a changed way of life, of a good king. They just want the healing. They just want to, be, to feel better and feel comfortable. And many of them will get the healing that they think they need, and they're just going to keep on needing, right? Matt, when we prayed before, talked about even Lazarus, right? Even Lazarus, who was healed, who was raised from the dead, he still needed more because eventually he died, right? The, best, the most miraculous thing that, 
that we can think of. Jesus raising somebody from the dead and they still died. The healing that Jesus brings is not a temporal healing, but it's a healing that it will last for eternity as our hearts are changed, as he restores what is broken in our hearts. We know that Jesus is more concerned about the heart than the body, but he does care about the body. He does care about the brokenness and the suffering and the hurt that the people are experiencing. Otherwise, he wouldn't heal, but he does. He goes out and he heals many, and he casts out many demons, and he brings this comfort, the comfort that only Jesus can bring. How do, we, how do we wrestle in that tension? Like the idea that Jesus longs to heal, but there's a different healing that he wants to do. And then how do we speak that to those around us? Ministering to them, saying, hey, I know that you're hurting, and I'm praying that you would be whole, but I also know that God has done something more than a temporal healing. His greatest gift to us is eternal salvation through the work of his son, Jesus. And so we too must care about the hurt and the brokenness around us. If we say that we're following after Jesus, if we say that we are disciples of Jesus, those who would want to walk in the way of the king, just think a king of glory and of grace as we sing that. And I love that rendition by citizens, and I know it kind of threw us off because they are a little quick, but the way they belt the king of glory and of grace over and over and over, right? This idea that this king of glory, the son of God, with the authority of the king, and yet the grace to go to the mother-in-law and take her by the hand and heal her. Like, that's the king that, that Mark is presenting to us. The king of glory and of grace. And as we follow this king of glory and of grace... The compassion that he has for the hurt and broken should mark our lives as much as it does his. And we're going to read through the Gospel of Mark, and there's going to be so many times where he heals, where he sees those that are broken and hurting, and reaches out to them and stops some of what he's doing, what we feel like is the real ministry. He stops those things, and he reaches down to the children, to those on the outskirts, and he has compassion for them. I think that one of the things, one of the takeaways from this passage is that discipleship is more about mirroring, mirroring the motive than the method of Jesus. Some of us, we can't, we can't heal. So if we're saying, oh, I'm going to follow after Jesus and I'm just going to work healing like he did, no, we can't do that. But what we can mirror is we can mirror the motive of Jesus. He changes our hearts by the power of his spirit and takes a hard heart and softens it. And now that softened heart can look around to those look around us at the community that we're in and grieve with those that are grieving, mourn with those that are mourning, hurt with those that are hurting, and point them to Jesus. Point them to what has healed us, what has given us joy, what has comforted us in our affliction. You see, we can we can try to do the right method. We can try to do the right ministry. I can do the correct thing, right, without holy and God-glorifying motivation. But right motivation, a heart that is pursuing Jesus and is led by the Spirit, it's going to drive to a faithful method. But if I'm looking at the method and the ministry 
Rather than what is motivating Jesus, I can get caught up in doing all of these right, so-called right, correct things. But if I'm sitting before the Lord and saying, God, would you change my heart? Then, then that changed heart by the power of the Spirit will walk in those right methods. Since I'm not Jesus, I can't heal the sick. I can't fix the broken around me. But I can weep and mourn with those who are weeping and mourning. And I can cry out to God, Lord, would you heal? God, you, all healing, all restoration comes from you. Would you do it in this person's life? Would you do it in my life? Would you do it in my neighbor's life? And I can cry out to Jesus that he would heal and reconcile and restore. And we can do that with confidence because we see in the Gospel of Mark that everywhere he goes, he heals, he restores, he reconciles. That is his, his goal. Verse 35 is really important for us. I tend to gloss over these types of things and just jump right to the, the ministry aspect. And yet, verse 35 says, And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. You see, all of Jesus' ministry flows out of his relationship to the Father, out of his relationship to the Spirit. We've talked about this a lot lately, this idea of the triune God and how they worship one another and how they enjoy one another and they have community even without humanity, right? God did not need to create us so that he could have community. He had it in and of himself. And so Jesus takes this moment and he gets up early and even that part I'm having a hard time with. I don't like getting up early, right? But the reality is that Jesus knows that that might be the only moment that he has to be with the Father alone. And so he goes and he spends time with the Father. There's two other times that are recorded uh, in the Gospel of Mark where Jesus gets up early and goes and prays. And that's uh, after he feeds the 5,000. I feel like maybe he's... The ministry has been hard, and he just needs to be rejuvenated in that moment, right? And then also in the Garden of Gethsemane, where he's, he's going to the cross. And he needs to remember and be reminded, not of his mission, but of his, his identity. And I think for us, we need to know who we are in Christ before we can know what we're supposed to do. And so often, I'm a doer, and I get caught up in that rather than just who God has called me to be. And Jesus, if Jesus, the Son of God, had to take these moments to be reminded of his identity and who he was and his relationship to the Father, and that feeds everything that he does, then we need to follow that same example. The gift that we have is Jesus has shown us that, A, that's necessary because he's done it. He's also shown us how, when, and what to pray. Right? I think of the Lord's Prayer when we think about what, how, you know, what do we pray? When I think about how we pray, it says that he goes and he, and he prays in solitude. That he takes time and gets up early. And there's a sacrifice there that says, hey, my relationship to, to the Father is so important that I will sacrifice rest. I will sacrifice what I think I need to go and be with him. 
And that's true for us too. The wind is often, we need to pray often. First uh, Thessalonians, Paul writes and he says, pray without ceasing, which seems excessive, but the reality is that everything that we need to Everything that we do needs to be operating out of this understanding of who we are and who God's called us to be. And so we need to pray out without ceasing. The Lord's Prayer, this idea that when we pray and we say, God, not my will, but your will be done, right? That's the ending of the Lord's Prayer. And so even as we cry out for healing, right, as we've talked about praying for one another for healing, the end result would be, Lord, not our will, not what we want, because if someone's sick, we want them to be well. If they're dying, we want them to be healed so that they would continue to be with us. But the reality is that we, we trust in one who is sovereign and whose will is perfect. And we say, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. You see, the disciples like us fall into this trap of thinking that ministry is more important than prayer. Um, we see it as they come looking for him. And, and Simon, in verse 36, and Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also. So this idea that, hey, where were you? Like, what could be more important than this ministry that we're doing right now? Everybody's looking for you, and you need to get over here, and you need to... Take advantage of all of these people that have come and waited outside and you've healed them and you've cast out demons and now's the time for us to, to do this work. And Jesus knows that the, none of this work happens outside of his relationship to the Father. And so he goes and he spends time with the Father. But it's telling that <clears throat> his response is then let us go to the next towns, even though everybody's looking for him right there and everybody's excited about him right there, he says, let us go to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. You see, what is the mission of Jesus? Is the mission of Jesus to heal as many people as he can, to cast out as many demons as he can? No, the mission of Jesus is to come and be the atonement. To be the one that would reconcile you and me and all of us as sinners to a holy God. But in the process, he brings healing and he brings restoration and he brings wholeness to those around him. But his mission, his goal is this gospel work. See, later on in Mark, Mark 10.45, and we've referenced it several times because it really is the heart of Jesus. He says, to his disciples, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. You see, the gospel, the good news, is not that Simon Peter's mother-in-law was healed. That's, that's amazing. That's awesome. The good news is not even like we talked about that Lazarus was raised from the dead. That's, that's mind-blowing. The good news is that Jesus came, lived a perfect, holy life on our behalf. He's the only one that could as the Son of God. And that he gave up what he deserved, and he took upon himself the wrath and the punishment that was meant for sinners like you and I. That's the good news. That's the mission of Jesus. That's what he's come to do on earth. And we're going to see how he gets there 
as he walks and as he brings wholeness and restoration and healing to those around him on the way to the cross where ultimately any healing that has happened took place because he defeated sin and death there. And we have to remember that. We can't get caught up in these, these good things and miss the one thing that reconciles us to a holy God. God has saved us from ourselves by giving of himself in our place. And not only that, but Jesus rose from the dead, defeating sin and death, and then he ascended into heaven where he continues to pray on our behalf, to intercede for us, to pray for restoration and wholeness and healing. And if Jesus is praying it, it's happening. And so today we rejoice in the gospel, the good news that not only has he healed, not only did he pray, not only did he proclaim, but he worked salvation on our behalf. And so we rejoice in that. A couple, couple takeaways just from this passage. Remember that a couple weeks ago, Jesus called the disciples and he said, come follow me. So today, if you're meeting Jesus for the first time, I pray that you would follow him, that he would the joy that you experience from seeing one who would make things whole and right and heal would stir your heart to believe that he is the Son of God and that you would rejoice in that today. And I pray that today, if you're hurting, that you would come and be healed, that you would be restored, that your body would be made whole. I pray that most of all that you would believe the truth of the gospel this morning. And those of us who would say that we are Christians, that we are disciples, that we are followers of Christ, do our lives look like his? Right? When we see him reach out to those that are hurting and broken, can we see that in our lives? Do we empathize the way that Jesus does? Does it grieve us that people are hurting? Do we long for his kingdom? this kingdom, this upside-down kingdom, to, to operate in our lives, enough so that we would sacrifice, that we would do things differently from culture? Do we ask God to heal? Um, just confession, I, I think that, I just think people are going to get better. Like, that's the way that God's designed our bodies to heal themselves. But the reality is that if any healing happens, it's because Jesus has done it. Whether it happens from what we would call natural healing, where we just press through a cold, or whether it would happen because they go to the doctor and receive a treatment, any healing that happens, happens because Jesus has worked healing and wholeness on our behalf. And so we should pray and cry out to God that he would heal that he would restore. In James 5, 13 through 16, we're commanded to pray for those who are sick and suffering. That's part of what it looks like to follow Christ, to pray for those that are hurting and suffering. To pray often. We see that in this passage. Pray often. Uh, e. Stanley Jones, just really appreciate this, once described prayer as a time um, a time exposure to God. He used the analogy of his life being like a photographic plate, which we probably don't understand too well because everything's digital now, but before you had to expose the picture to an amount of light, and the longer it was exposed, the more it would develop. 
right? And so he used the analogy of his life being like a photographic plate, which when exposed to God, progressively bore the image of God in keeping with the length of exposure. If we apply that to prayer, the more that I pray and I'm exposed to God, the more I begin to look like God. The more that transformation and that conforming happens to where I, people can see Jesus in me. And so we should pray often, and we should get up early, and we should go to a quiet place, and we should pray, because that's what Jesus has taught us to do. And finally, we need to be proclaimers of this good news. You see, Jesus said, well, let's go to these other towns and preach the good news, and preach to them there. And if this good news is not driving us, we need to ask the question, why not? And it's not a question that would build shame or condemnation in us. It's a question of, no, like, why do I not believe this? What has captured my heart more than Jesus? What have I forgotten about how great our God is and how sweet his gospel is? So I think that we need to ask that question of ourselves and of each other. Like, what have we forgotten? Because this is good news, and it should be proclaimed in everything that I'm doing. And so we proclaim so that others would see this good King Jesus. Amen? Amen. Let us pray. God, we thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you for the conviction of your Holy Spirit. God, that there is no condemnation, but there is this spurring on to be the people of God, to be the people who would proclaim the good news that not only did you heal and restore, but you walked to the cross on behalf of sinners, on behalf of your church, on behalf of those that you have redeemed. Lord, may we proclaim that with joy. You stir that in us to be the church. We ask these things of you in your precious name. Amen. Amen.